0: Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. Well, yesterday, three men who had never met, never dreamed we'd be together late at night, were brought together by God. One of them woke up yesterday morning in Ferris, Texas. He uh, drives a tow truck on the weekends, he and his brother. uh, He had come in to the evening and turned on the TV. He says his wife constantly says, do you have to go back out? Popped up on his phone that he had a call to go to Waxahachie. The other man woke up yesterday morning in San Antonio after a long weekend of meetings. He came home after a long day. His wife wanted to go out to eat. He said, honey, why don't we just eat some hamburgers here at the house? I'll fix them. And she said, I've been in the house all day. So they hopped in the car, went to eat in spite of his desire not to be out. Then Deanna and I did something that was kind of unusual, and we left a little earlier from New Mexico, about three hours later than we intended to, but earlier than we usually do, Uh, pretty excited at this point about getting back early, and then an animal decided to run in front of us. It did something to our car that caused the air not to work, which the air and the radio are the two most important things for the, of the car for me, and a few minutes later, I get an email from Chevrolet saying, there's something wrong with your car. So we end up at an exit ramp. We um, pull in at this convenience store. The, the man from Ferris, Texas ends up there about an hour later, and he Asked us how long we'd been there, and we said about an hour, and he laughed. He said, most people wait much longer than that. I've seen people wait all night. So we got in the wrecker with him. We headed down to the dealership, which was about two miles away. As we're pulling in there, Deanna and I are thinking, you know, we have loaded the back of our car with things from a mother's house all week. And um, at this point, we're going to just leave the car outside the dealership because the gate is locked. And the uh, truck driver's concerned about leaving us there and leaving our stuff there. Well, right as we pull in, before Deanne and I could get out of the wrecker, a real nice Corvette pulled in. I was hoping he wanted to trade cars, but he didn't. And he was the service manager that had been in San Antonio all weekend. They were on their way back from dinner. His wife said, somebody's at the dealership with a wrecker, and they probably should put that inside the gate. And so they pulled in just as we did, so our lives converged together at that spot. We checked our GPS. We were about 45 minutes from our youngest son, and uh, the only problem was we were forbidden to wake up our granddaughter once we got there late into the morning. I just say that to say, isn't God faithful to us? He never is caught off guard. He always comes through. Even when it looks like everything's falling apart, he's orchestrating our lives. So in that context, I want us to look at Psalm 24. Psalm 24, as you recognize, is located in the Bible right after Psalm 23. So it lives in the shadow of the, the most memorable psalm there is, a psalm that is read at funerals, a psalm that you find on greeting cards, cross-stitch pieces. That is a very famous work of God's hand through a person's life. Just in the shadow behind that picture of God's care and his love and his provision, you find Psalm 24. Psalm 24 is is about the, the majesty and the grandeur of God. And how we should respond to that God. So today I want us to think about this psalm in the context of the God who is providential and personal. I love that about God, orchestrating the the events of the universe, uh, keeping the planets in place, the stars shining, all that goes on in the universe, the intricacies of the human body. Providential, but yet so personal. And haven't you found that you stand in the greatest awe of his providence when he comes through in your life in a personal way? And so let's focus today on Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, those who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O you gates, And be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and lift them up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Let's pray together. Even as we read your word, we bow before you in our hearts as the king of King who reigns above all earthly kings. The king of a kingdom that has no end and is immeasurable. And here we are as a speck in your creation. But you know who we are, where we are. You know the circumstances of our lives. And you know us by name. You know our needs before we ever ask. You answer before we ever cry out. And even when we do, you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. According to your power as our king, working in us and through us. And so, Father, I take great comfort in that today. And I pray that in my weakness and in my weariness, that your strength would be manifested. And I pray that you would please speak through me. Because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 23 speaks so graphically about the Lord being our shepherd and how He, he provides and He protects, He prepares for us, He watches over us. But here in Psalm 24, it it kind of backs up and gives us a more panoramic view of of His majesty and His greatness. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. First, in verses 1 and 2, it talks about the power of God. The earth is the Lord's. All of us live on a piece of property. We have possessions, but it all belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We we cannot lay claim to any of it. It is simply given to us to be stewarded because God spoke all that we have into existence. Nothing was made apart from him, and all things were made through him. Speaking of Christ, the second person in the Godhead. And then the world and those who dwell therein. They are the work of God's creation. Bearing the image of God, although in some it is so marred by sin and depravity, it's almost unrecognizable but it's there and you see his power in that he founded it upon the seas he established it upon the waters and just think about the the majestic nature of his creation it it remains synchronized and working and flowing and and the universe stands in place not statically but dynamically moving and and Orbiting and all that it does at his handy work in creation. So it begins with a a big, beautiful picture of the the power of this providential God. Then there's the question that follows in verse 3 Who may ascend into the hill? of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place these are two common images used in speaking of God's holiness you remember when moses ascended the mountain to receive the the law and all of the instructions that god gave him and how that was a holy season for the people of God. They dared not even touch the mountain because God was there. When Moses came, his face was radiating the very glory of God upon whom he was unable to even gaze. Who who can go and survive that, the psalmist says. But then there's the place of worship, which would have been the a tabernacle, and in there was that holiest of holy places, who, who in and of themselves can enter into that holy place. Not only was he saying this is a God of power, but this is a God of purity, completely pure. Sometimes we forget that God is holy. God has always been holy, and God always will be holy. Those who create a God of their own making begin to tear away his purity and his holiness, don't they? When a person makes their own God, it's not out of a desire to be like the true God. It's out of a desire to have a God that resembles them, But here the psalmist stands in awe of this great creator, the God of all power. Now he sees him as the God of all purity. And Then he answers the questions he's asked. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. Nor sworn deceitfully. Now think about that from the other side of the cross. Who measures up to that? Who among us would say today, I have clean hands. In my relationships with others, I, have, I am blameless and without cause for shame or guilt in my life. We, we would say, I fall so, so short of that. How many of us today could say in and of ourselves, we have a pure heart? That means no hidden agendas, no mixed motives, No harbored sin. No hatred embedded there. How many of us would dare to lift our hand and say, I have a pure heart? But then it goes on. And it gets harder and harder. But aren't you glad we live on this side of the cross? Jesus. His hands were clean his heart was pure and he was offered as the sacrifice for our sinfulness that we might enter into that holy presence of god not of our own merit but based upon the righteousness of christ and us being in him and through the holy spirit he and us isn't that a beautiful reality You see, the law was designed to show us how crooked we are, D.L. Moody said, and then grace comes along and straightens us out. Clean hands and a pure heart, constant struggle in this world, but through the blood of Christ, he is faithful to forgive and to cleanse us. But then it goes on, not only about the power of God and the purity of God, but the possessiveness of God. Now, typically, when we think about the possessiveness of someone, we think of someone raging with emotional jealousy. But literally, what possessiveness means, I looked it up, demanding someone's total attention and love. That's what God demands of us. The difference between us as human beings being possessive and God being possessive, he has ownership of us. And so the next phrase in the passage says, he who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. I think sometimes as God's people, we forget about the jealousy of God addressed in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not even make other gods and bow down and worship them. He says, I am the Lord alone. By myself, I reign. And he doesn't tolerate a divided heart. But how easy it is for the Shifting of our heart onto things that we can see or things that we desire. So we might say, well, my heart's not divided. I've never made an idol. I've never bowed to any pagan god. But the reality is an idol is anything or anyone that competes with Jesus for the throne of your heart. And there we find ourselves very vulnerable, don't we? Then he goes on and speaks about God's purpose. He is possessive, he is pure, he is powerful, but he has a purpose. It says in verse 5, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation, the one who delivers him. He will come through for him with blessing and deliverance. That's God's purpose and his plan we call it the plan of salvation salvation with a capital s he has a plan in the person of christ and his sacrificial death for us to bring blessing and purpose and deliverance in our life not just deliverance from circumstances but deliverance from sin and its power and its bondage and its very presence He wants us to have his blessing and righteousness. And then in verse 6, it continues to speak of his purpose. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek his face. When we hear the name Jacob, we typically think of an individual we think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You remember God renamed him. He renamed him with the name Israel. That out of him, as an heir of the promise of God to Abraham and to Isaac, it comes to Jacob, and that he would make a nation. It would be very unique and blessed of God and would be cherished and loved by God. And so here it's speaking of not just a physical nation, but it's saying this is Jacob or this is Israel. This is the the group that God chooses to bless, the generation of those who seek him, those who seek your face. The psalmist turns to God and specifies those who seek your face. Wouldn't you love for this to be that generation? Wouldn't you love to be a part of the generation that joined with the generation of all nations that somehow God turned our hearts toward him, began to get our hands clean and our hearts pure before him, began to crave and hunger for his holiness and his righteousness. Not just to prevent calamity, not just to deliver us from judgment, but just out of a sheer love for his holy character and who he is. I would love for this to be the generation that sees God do something he's never done in our day for sure. So all of that is is wrapped up in God's purpose. Matthew Henry comments on this by saying this, "'This is the generation of those that seek Him. "'In every age there is a remnant of such as these, "'men of this character who are accounted to the Lord "'for a generation, and they are such as seek God, "'those that seek the face of Jacob.'" And just think about that. You believe God put you here for a purpose. Well, he puts you here now. You thought about that? Why am I alive in these days? Why am I a part of the generation that God has put me a part of? It wasn't by happenstance or just coincidence but but god has placed you here and we are responsible for the generation in which we live we can't do about anything about past generations we can somehow impact future generations but only by impacting the generation in which we live and so as we look at the condition of of our nation which is just a microcosm of the entire world, when we look at the condition of the world, we bear responsibility as witnesses for Christ, don't we? So when we think about that generational accountability, may we be that generation that seeks His face. Now, there are two ways people can seek God. They can seek His hand, or they can seek his face. When we seek his hand, we're asking him for something that we don't have, or we're asking him to take something we don't want. But when we're seeking his face, we're just in his presence, loving him, wanting him to be pleased with us, Wanting, us to, wanting him to see us in a favorable manner, not because of our own good deeds, but because of our devotion and love to him. When was the last time we just sought his face? Even when we pray that God would bring revival to our land, or that God would do something in our land, don't we come with a list of things we would like him to do or preconceived things we would long for him to do instead of just seeking his face and trusting him it's no accident that phrase is in that passage where if tragedy and drought and pestilence come upon my people he says in second chronicles seven thirteen. he says in verse 14 following that if my people are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face. Isn't that a beautiful picture of relationship? That's his purpose. But then there's the promise. In verse 7 it says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the." king of glory shall come in who is this king of glory the lord strong and mighty the lord mighty in battle lift up your heads O you gates lift them up O everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in who is the king of glory the lord of hosts he is the king of glory there's promise even in those statements It goes beyond just gates and doors. It it goes to human hearts. We are to open ourselves to God. We are to welcome Him into our lives. We are to cherish His presence. And who is this King of glory? We have come to know Him in the person of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the King of glory who will return for His people coming for his bride without spot and without blemish, the New Testament says. What a marvelous picture that is of the promise that he has for us to be prepared for his coming, to be ready for his arrival, to be pleasing to the end. I don't know if you know what we have spent the last week doing we have been at my mother's house and going through stuff two things have been a reality we've seen how insignificant stuff really is but I've also found myself just standing and staring have you ever been there just kind of Drinking it in visually, emotionally, and mentally. Knowing that that which was will never be again. Knowing that that which was cherished will now become a memory somewhat distant. So there are three places I found myself standing and staring. And as I stared at these places, it, it wasn't so much about people. It was all about God and what he had done in my life through those he had put in my life. This is the house I grew up in. I wanted to take all of you there with me because we could have gotten so much more done if you had been there. But since I couldn't, I decided to bring a picture of the house. This is 121 East Christopher. It's actually the only house on Kathy Lane, but there is a Kathy Drive and we would never get our mail because it would always be mixed up. So it's Christopher around the corner there. The only time I moved growing up is I moved from the front bedroom to another bedroom, traded rooms with my sister. That's the only time I ever moved. And that's where God placed me. Not only did he put me in a home, a house, he put me in a home with Christian parents. I'm so grateful. I know that's not always the case. I don't take that for granted. But when I entered junior high, the most important place at that house became the backyard. I have an old basketball goal. You can tell that now, even when I shoot, it just burns the threads out of the rim. No, that's from lack of use. There was a day that was really shiny and new. It's a pad of concrete about 20 feet long from the goal to the back wall and about maybe 10 feet wide. And some serious competition happened on that concrete. But in the eighth grade, I saw my hero get the basketball MVP award and I went home, told my dad I was gonna do that and I had this brand new looking basketball goal he had gotten me when I was really young. He told me, I think you're too lazy to do that. And so I set out to prove him wrong. There were two years in my life I did the math. I would shoot 500 free throws a day. And so in those two years, give or take on each end, I, I shot approximately 35,000 free throws. That, that makes my elbow hurt. But I became possessed with basketball. You see, I started private kindergarten at four, not because I was so bright. It's the way my birthday fell, and I just always felt behind. I was the last kid to be able to write my name. I always felt insecure, hated reading, never wanted to hold a book in my life. I fell in love with basketball at nine I had become a Christian but in the eighth grade this became my God because I found an identity there apart from that providential personal God my hands went after an idol it wasn't all bad but it began to grip me tightly So when I look in that backyard, I kind of see the sun setting on it there because that actually happened in my life. I got to a place where I didn't want to ever see another basketball. And God began to stir my heart. There's a reason for me telling you this. When Deanne was a freshman in high school, she went to a conference. They challenged her to begin praying for the man that she would marry. That was around April. In May, as she prayed for me unknowingly, she um, had an impact in my life because I decided not to go to basketball camp, but go to FCA camp. And the Lord gripped my heart. I met some young men that loved me if I made a 25 foot jumper, and they loved me if I missed a layup. Because they had some unconditional love that I'd forgotten all about. I heard a speaker who gave up an NFL career to fly a plane for a ministry. He had been the quarterback of the Sooners in Oklahoma. His name was Steve Davis. He talked about letting Jesus fill the emptiness in your life. And here I was at the top of my game. I had gone to a large high school. I had made varsity, moved up in in my sophomore year. Been there and done all that Would cry myself to sleep at night because I felt so empty. But God gripped my heart. And everything changed about me. Still had basketball to deal with, but it no longer was my God. Then God began to tug on my heart about ministry. I couldn't quite imagine myself preaching. Because I was so shy and introverted. So this, what we call a lake, you'd call it a pond at the heart of my hometown, about three blocks from my house, late one night with my New Testament in hand, I went down to that park, wrestling with God, saying, God, I can't can't do this. I I, I don't know why you would call me. I can't preach. I can't speak. And I I stood on that bridge at age 17, and I've shared this before, but I I was looking off that bridge, having read scripture, it was dark, I saw this mother duck swim out from under the bridge with her little ducklings following her, and the the first one put its beak in its her tail feathers, and just stayed right with her, and I, that night, said, God, I can do I'll do that because I know I have to do that and so yesterday before we left not knowing what that trip would entail we took a little time to go by the park so I could stand on the bridge and just stand and stare and drink that in something that Psalm 24 causes me to do is to just stand and, and stare at, at him. That that first moment, I, I got a glimpse of his holiness. But blended with that holiness, I, I came to understand his love for me. And, and how it radically changed me. And how it continues to radically changed my heart and my life. And, and I, I find myself standing on that bridge, not asking, God, have you been faithful to me? There's no doubt there, but God, have, have I been faithful to that to which you've called me? Have I, have I been faithful to represent your purity and your holiness and your goodness and your purpose in people's lives? And I know if you were given the chance, you could share slides just like I have of those places and things that were chapters in your life that God was putting together to bring you to a place of surrender to him. And so when we read Psalm 24, it talks about clean hands and a pure heart. You remember when you came to know Christ, you just couldn't be clean enough. You just wanted to get all of the sin out of your life. You wanted to walk in that unbroken fellowship with him. You, you wanted to represent him well with clean hands uh, and a pure heart to others. You, you wanted to walk with him and represent him and others to know him. I just just wanted to invite you to go back to that place and just stand and stare at it a moment. Because every so often in my life, and I know in yours, God somehow takes us back to that spot. He reminds us he still wants us and chooses us. He still desires to manifest himself through us. But that can only happen when we cooperate with him and when he is in control and we have a life that is filled with his purity and his power and his purpose. And I wonder today, is there an idol challenging your heart for your devotion for Christ? Is there something in your hand that you're holding against another or you're you're white-fisted, ready to just explode at someone, would you release that today and just have clean hands before God and before others? And is your heart pure? Is my heart pure? We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nation's. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrocket.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.